0: Today's lesson that we're going to look at here is, uh, well, the title is The Building Blocks for a Successful Marriage. Now, I will throw out that uh, I may not be the best person for this, as I still have no children that I've uh, married off yet, but they are, I'm dedicating this lesson to my two oldest children, because they're at the age to where they're starting to ask, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, what's what's gonna make a good spouse, what's not gonna make a good spouse. And in the 10 minutes here and there that I can hold their attention, I really can't get all the information. So I thought to myself, well, how about I just uh, give a 45 plus 10 minute or so lesson on, no, I'll keep it at 45 minutes, um, of what that might look like. And so we're gonna look at Building blocks, precursors to a successful marriage. Now, this is not necessarily focused on how to keep a marriage from divorcing. But you can have a marriage that lasts 60, 70 years and not be a successful marriage. Would you agree with that, some of you, anyways? Absolutely. The success is not, necess- is not the end, it, it, that's a wonderful thing. That is part of the success, no question about it. But you can have a miserable marriage, you can have a marriage that is not glorifying God, and you can have a marriage that is not in any way benefiting God and His church. And stick it out till you die. So I want to look at some precursors, some building blocks for you young people, but I think parents can gain something from this too, hopefully. Some things that I have found with couple counseling that that occur after that honeymoon stage and begin to erode, we'll say, the ability to have joy in the relationship. Joy is an important part of a marriage. If you don't have joy in the marriage, what's the purpose, at least for you? So that's what we're gonna look at today. We're gonna look at four points that I think that are really, really important, that if you get these four points down, that you are far less likely to have friction after the honeymoon f- period begins to work off. Now marriage is a non-stop work. So don't, don't think that, oh, well, you get these two things, or these four things, and I don't have to worry about anything, ever, anything else. But there, there are things that take place inside the relationship that you must wait for the relationship, like communication. Communication is a key aspect to a successful marriage. But you have to get the personalities together and begin to learn how to communicate with each other for that to happen. So I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about things that you young people, and even if you're married, you can still turn some of this stuff around, that you young people can be focusing on right now in your singlehood. Your singleness is some of the most valuable time that you will have. And some of you may only get a year or two once you're out of high school. Some of you may get more. There's no specific time. God's timing, not our timing. We don't need to get all worked up because some of them getting married at 20 and I'm still 25 and it hasn't happened. Don't be frustrated. You have an opportunity. And that's what I want to look at today is using this opportunity wisely. All right. So the first point, we'll say our first little bulletin point here for a successful marriage. Number one. And in fact, let's, let's read this verse first. In First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. I, I really want to. Everything that we're going to talk about today is going to be found. Founded, the foundation is going to be in this verse. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man or an adult, I put away childish things. You can be 45 years old and still be a child, and that will be a struggle in a marriage. A marriage is an adult institution. You don't have to be old, but you need to be mature in order for it to function properly. So what I wanna look at, today, some of these things we're gonna look at today is making that transformation as always being taken care of by my parents having that ability to be a child and now taking on one of the greatest responsibilities that you'll have your spouse putting away those childish things the first area we're going to look at today salvation we must be equally yoked second corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers it doesn't get any simpler than that and this is really really important we live in a world today that says, hey, don't worry about what I am, we just worry about you. I said, Jesus is my savior, I'm saved, let's go on. If it was really that simple, and I understand, I'm not here to offend anyone, and the truth of the matter is, if, if something I say pricks you in a way that says, oh, and I think Nathan may be thinking I'm not saved. If that's true, I'm not saying that you're, you're lost. The Holy, the Holy Spirit has a way of calling you, and we have a way of saying no for a very long time. It doesn't mean that you're not chosen to be saved in the end. Yeah. So I would encourage you that if you're one of those that is distracted by the world, but you have the calling of the Holy Spirit upon you, I want to encourage you to give in to that. Yeah. Begin to let go of all the wants and hopes that I have, and begin to say, okay, Lord, I'm ready to submit yourself spent myself to you. Now I I am one of those. I grew up in this church as Pastor Gaiman said. After I graduated welding school I was gone for several years. While I was gone I did the very best that I could to keep God's law. Now I, I didn't do so good on the Sabbath. But the other ones, I mean I didn't go out and drink, I didn't go out and do drugs, I didn't go out and sleep around even though that's all I was surrounded with. I knew what right and wrong was and I and I know who God was. And I wanted to please him or maybe I was afraid of him. I don't know, but either way that it'll still work out to your benefit I found churches wherever I went if I was there for more than a few weeks at a time, I would seek out a church But I wasn't saved I admit I was saved as an adult not as a young person, but as a young person I thought I was saved Just because you know who God is and just because you want to keep his commandments, you go to church, doesn't mean that you've given your heart over to God. And you are not the person you will be when you do that. And that's why this is so important. An unsaved Christian, and I think that's possible. I think the religion of Christianity can be carried out by unsaved individuals. I'm living proof of that. But that was a different person after the transformation, after the conviction took place. And so we must seek out to the very best of our ability. We may not get this perfect. I recognize that. This is a very sticky subject, but I think there's enough verses in the Bible that we can look at that say, hey, unequally yoked, look for the fruits. They even have a list. We're going to look at a list here today. Just one. There's several. Why is all that there if God doesn't want us to at least take a moment to say, okay, I need to test the waters just a little bit. I'm not saying Dump someone over, that you're looking at to be a, a future spouse. Dump them over the head with the Bible or anything. But I'm saying let's not just take face value that just because they're in this building today, that means they're automatically saved. Because it may not be. And you know, the, and the reality is that some of us, it'd be nice if we were Amish and all of our children were going to automatically be married to someone in our group. But that's not that's not really a reality today. And even in the Church of Israel congregation. Children, our children cannot marry just inside this, the walls of this building. It would be nice if that was true. But it's not just going to be people from festival congregations. There's going to be occasions where it's actually going to be going out into the world and finding these, these gems that come out of very unique homes. And we need to make sure that their testimony is true. So we turn into our Bibles to... Uh, Let's start with 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We have a list. And there's we could go to Galatians, we'll get another list with a few more things, but we're just going to look at Corinthians chapter 9, or rather, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Starting in verse 9. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. This is talking about salvation. These verses are of salvation. Be not deceived, and this is where it's really important. We're being deceived by our neighbors and our brothers in the world that. This isn't important. Just take my word for it. I'm telling you, Nathan, I went to the prayer rail on a very emotionally driven service one night, and I gave my life to Jesus. You have to accept that. Well, that's good. But let's see if there's fruit. Let's see if there's fruit. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, thank goodness, most of the things on this list probably don't apply to anyone in this congregation. Some of these may apply, at least at some point in life, to some in the world. But there are a few here that I want to mention, I think, hit close to home right here. Tree, Ladies, gentlemen, when you're seeking out, when you find someone that you think's really special, is their life focused around a football game? Is their life focused around their car? Oh, you can spot those real easy. Don't touch that! I just had it washed, man! Now, I'm not saying that's 100% evidence, but um, that that sounds like an idol to me. And there's others. And we can add, we don't have time to get into all that, but there's plenty of things from the age of 18 to 30 that you guys can pick up as idols. That's more important to me than God. And then let's look at another one. Drunkards. Oh, I know. Alcohol in the Bible is not all bad as long as you can control it. I'm not going to argue with that today. But we'll just just go down the drunk road. Ladies, I want you to listen closest. If you've got a young man that is defending from the Bible that he can drink, let me tell you a little something that he's not telling you. Now, this may not apply to everyone. But statistically speaking, if you feel motivated that you have to drink a beer every time you get home from work, just that one, or two, or three, I mean, what really is drunk? They've been drunk. Drunker, they may not be drunk on a regular basis. And if they haven't been drunk yet, they will be. The statistics are very clear. That very, 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 almost never do a social drinker never get drunk. Now I'll give you one. I'll give you that first one. We'll say that's the wake-up call. I got drunk last night. I, did, I, did, I said some really terrible things to some really nice people. That's your wake-up call to push it away. If you say, oh, well, I will never get drunk again. You're fooling yourself. So, ladies, and it may even implied to you young, young men, if you've got someone on the scopes, that's drinking. Run. And those of you that are drinking, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not. There's no hope. There's hope for you. Quit. That's that simple. That's fine if you want to say that you can drink. The Bible doesn't condemn drinking. That's fine. Just don't do it, so that you can avoid the drunk part, because it is damaging and it's a destroyer of marriages and even marriages that don't end in divorce. Alcohol destroys that relationship. Not only with your spouse, but with your children. Amen. It's not a, a game that you want to play. It's not something you want to take a chance on. All right, now moving on, let's look at another point. A person under authority. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, I don't know it's uh, well, going to say. It. Or rather, uh, hereby we do know that we know him, him being Jesus Christ. If we keep his commandments, he that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. If you find someone that seems like they are a little rebellious in nature, again, you don't, it's not that you don't have hope, but that's a red flag. The red flag, especially for you ladies, because the reality is everything I'm saying here can go both ways. But the men do end up carrying the authority figure. And so you're going to be forced, not forced, but you you need to voluntarily place yourself under his authority. So we need to take a little time, husbands and wives, fathers and, and mothers, take a little time, make sure that our children are dealing with someone who's under authority. And yes, we're talking about God's law. But it doesn't end there. Jesus was questioned... He says, should we pay our taxes? Should we give that evil man, Caesar, our money, our, our money, <laughs> our money that he's spending on building temples to false gods? You hear talk like that today? Well, I can't give them, I got to run from the taxes. And then they blame it on what the taxes are used for. Well, here's what Jesus' answer was. He didn't say, well, when Caesar is spending the money wisely, we should probably pay taxes. I mean, we, do, we want good roads. And Romans had good roads. But when he's spending it on those temples, when he's spending them on those uh, places that we disagree with, don't pay them. No, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, give unto Caesar what is Caesar, and unto God what is God. This is not our world. We need to occupy until he comes. We need to do the best we can with the opportunities we have. But when you see the whole world falling apart, don't worry, this is not our world. We're only here temporary. And we need to remember that's not our money. We need to be wise, and we're going to actually talk about that today. But we need to be under authority, even to our civil figures, as long as they do not require us to violate God's law. That's the line we never cross. But until that line is drawn in the sand, ladies, gentlemen, be careful about someone who's really eager about running away from the government. We need to be wise, but we don't need to be rebellious. Rebellion is not a sign of salvation. Prayer life. This is an area that we really can look closely at because it's kind of obvious. Now, I'm not saying that this is guaranteed, oh, he doesn't sound like he prays very good, he must not be saved. But there is some validity, and scripture says that for a Christian, Ephesians chapter uh, 6 verse 18, pray always with with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, and watching unto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Saints! This is a part, I don't know that you can actually have a relationship with God without prayer. I just don't think it's possible. So I say that if someone doesn't have a prayer life, I'm gonna gonna be bold. If you don't have a prayer life, you're not saved. Now, how about those who are coming in and saying, well, do you have a prayer life? Well, that's a hard thing to determine. So I I wanna be very careful about setting up this where You go around judging who's saved and who's not based on the prayers you hear. One thing you have, these public prayers, Man, some people get really nervous. So don't be judging someone that comes up here and says, Lord, we thank you for this day, bless this service, amen. Their mind's not working. (laughs) They're nervous. That's okay. But young ladies, young men, young ladies especially, ask this person that you feel like you want to spend the rest of your life with, find something in your life and say, hey, will you pray with me? Watch the response? Someone who has a relationship with God in prayer is going to be far more eager than someone who doesn't. In fact, someone who doesn't may not may simply tell you no. Well, have, have your dad pray with you or something like that. Also, you can spot it. I've been to family reunion situations where they'll have someone pray, and you can literally tell when it comes to naming who God is, they don't even know what to call him. I mean, and then they sit sitting there studying, uh, um, uh, God, a lot of times where they land, God... I'm not trying to come down on anyone, but you can tell when someone has a prayer life. The truth of the matter is, young people, if you have a prayer life, it will, it'll show. You can't help, you'll show. You can, you can tell. Maybe they don't know how to articulate every little scenario of blessing, but when they address their father in heaven, you can tell that they've addressed them before. And it's not just, uh, 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 what do we want them to call them? Okay? Prayer. Ladies, gentlemen, don't be afraid to ask them what your prayer life is like. You're getting ready to spend, the, you're wanting to spend the rest of your life with this person, but you're a little nervous about getting too deep in their personal stuff? Uh-uh. Get personal. Okay? We don't, we don't hesitate to get holding hands and, and putting our arms around each other. That's getting personal. Let's get personal in a way, in a way that matters. Ask them. What's your prayer life? What do you pray about? Do you pray? You'd be surprised when the question comes down the line how some might actually hold for a second. They're thinking, I don't want to start this relationship off on a lie, but I can't say, No, I don't pray. Even in that awkward moment, it might open up a door to say, Okay, let's talk about this a little bit. Let's just talk about it. Next area. Home life, the home they came out of. Some are going to struggle with this. I want to read this verse. This is my foundational verse. I always have thoughts, but if I can't build it off of Scripture, then it, it, it doesn't matter. So here's where I'm coming from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the n- nurture and admonition of the Lord. I think it is okay to look to the parents and the home that they came out of and see if it is God-focused in the way they live and the way they teach their children. What are their priorities? Do they look like church-going Christians? You had to build a case in court. Could you do it against that family? There's something that counselors use a lot. I've used this. It's called a family tree. It's It's for premarital counseling. And you sometimes can use it even in regular. But it's called a uh, family tree inventory. Has anyone ever heard of something like that? Okay, what it is, is you take the two people that are getting ready to get married, and you go back one or two generations in their lives, and you look at patterns. Now, you don't look at good patterns. You focus on the bad ones and make sure that these patterns you want to know about these patterns, and one of them is alcohol. You'll be surprised that even the, the world out, the, the, the secular world, a secular counselor will want to know if there's alcohol in one or two generations back and who it's in. Apparently it's a pretty serious thing, but they'll look at that, and they'll look at drugs, they'll look at abuse, they'll look at anger, they'll look at all these things that we would naturally think, well, that's not going to be healthy in a relationship. Why do they do that? Because nobody, hear me out, nobody in this congregation is a victim to their family. You can be different. But if you do not deliberately do something in your life to change who your parents and your grandparents were, you have a high probability of collecting some of those bad habits. So if you have a young man or a young lady you're looking at, and they're not working on something, and you see something serious in their family tree, it might be worthy of red flagging that. Let's step back for a moment. Let's make sure that you are not like them. Because some of the the marriages, we're gonna bring people in from the outside. And not all of them are gonna come from perfect homes, from our standard. That doesn't mean they're lost. Doesn't mean it can't be successful. We have several in this congregation right now that have brought people from the outside. Some very, their their church life very minimal and been successful. It can be done. We just need to make sure that the salvation aspect is sound first. All right. Now let's look at the next area. Salvation, we, we talked about salvation number one. This is the primary one. If you are not equally yoked, You're setting yourself up for trouble. Doesn't mean you're going to get divorced, but it does mean you are not going to have a very happy marriage. There's a good chance of it anyways. And I'll I'll even add this. It's wonderful if an unequally yoked situation that that changes why they're married, that one of them comes to God. that's, That's great. But the reality is the marriage will still have scar tissue from however long that took place. I really believe this to be true. Even if you know that a young man or a young lady is heading down the right path but hasn't quite converted, it's better to wait until it happens than to go ahead and get married and hope that it happens in the marriage. It, It really will make a difference bringing that marriage together with two saved individuals. Next one, let's look at finances just real quick. It's called the big three, the three main causes of divorce. And like I said, we're not talking about divorce here today, but if it causes divorce, obviously it wasn't causing a lot of joy in the relationship. Three main causes of divorce is poor communication, finances, and intimacy issues that have not been talked out properly. Now, two of those I think are best addressed inside the marriage itself. But debt, or rather finances, and we're gonna talk about debt, Finances is something that can affect the marriage the moment that it happens based on where you're at in your life right now. And like I said, if you have a little time and you're single, this is something that you really need to address because how you come into the relationship based on your financial situation will really make a difference. Now, that's not to say, I mean, some, of, some people get married when they're 20, 19 years old. I'm, I'm, that's great. If you're ready, you're ready. You don't have to be rich, you don't have to have all these assets, you don't even have to have a house. But I tell you what will make that marriage really tough right off the bat and that's debt. We need to avoid debt and I've got some verses. Make sure that we're, I'm, I'm standing on solid ground here. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 7. The rich ruleth over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. You cannot be free in that relationship from day one to serve God if you still have to serve the, the lender. Common sense. Proverbs 22, 7, or rather 22, 26. Be not thou of them that strike hands or of them that surety of debt. If thou hast nothing to pay, why should he take away thy bed from under thee? This is, that, this is some really scary words if you understand what's being said here. It says, don't be that guy that goes out and makes all these deals and and puts up all this this collateral saying, I can can cover my debt. And then I wake up one day and said, they took my bed. They took your stuff. That's because you never owned it. It belonged to them. That that is a very stressful environment for both parties, but especially for the young lady. Now, I admit, the Bible doesn't say do not go into debt. It just warns against it and I recognize in the world that we live in today that getting a home, especially the younger you get married, the harder it is to get a home paid for on day one. There are things you can do. Start with a core home, little debt, pay it off and then add on to it as you go. I'm not going to get into all that but there's things that we can do to minimize that. But let me tell you what you can do right now very easy and it will really pay off in the end. Toys! You don't need your toys, man. In fact, I'm not sure that you're man if you feel like you need your toys. You don't need, now, if you can afford them and you've got everything taken care of, I'm not saying that there's something wrong with a four-wheeler. But I'm saying $5,000 of debt on a four-wheeler and I don't have a home paid for, I think there's a problem there, young men. Amen. Ladies, you can place yourself in there however it fits. Maybe a car or whatever. I understand we gotta get a car. Maybe I have to, I mean, I gotta go to work. So I gotta get a little money borrowed for a car. Okay, if that's the best you can do, that's fine. That doesn't mean a $55,000 car. We have to be wise. So here's my, my encouragement on the area of debt. Eliminate it if you can and keep it as small as possible. Education. You don't have to go to the end of your education, the PhD, to get started in your career. You can start it just a few years. Even in a welding mechanics a trade school. You can start out as just a general welder. You can get that done for a couple thousand dollars. Then maybe later you say, no, I want to be an industrial structural welder. A few more thousand dollars later on down the road, go ahead and invest in that. You decide, no, I want to be a real welder. So I'm going to look into the pipe field. All right, now I want to add maybe another five, six, eight thousand dollars 8000 for that. Maybe later I want to get into specialty metals. So I can take fifty to $80,000 worth of schooling and divide it out over 10 years, and I can, I can avoid debt doing that. I don't need to go to the end. I don't need $200,000 worth of education that I may not even use. Next area on finances. hope I haven't lost anyone yet. Tithe. I'm not going to talk a lot about this, but I'm going to tell you this right now. The old saying, I'd rather have 90% blessed by God than 100% not. No truer words were ever spoke. I've seen with my own eyes people that are on the brink of financial destruction start tithing. And when it's a year's time, you don't even recognize their financial situation. God will turn it around. That's all I have to say about that. Tithe. And then, of course, I have a verse for it. Proverbs chapter 6. There's plenty of other verses that I could go. But Proverbs, or Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with thy firstfruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barn be filled with plenty and thy presses burst out with new wine. Tithing is a blessing to you. Last one on this area work and money management. Men, we've got to work. And we've got to have a way to make a living. So you need to learn a trade. You need to go and learn something. I don't don't think it really matters how, whether you learn it from somebody else or whether you have to go to school and do it. But you have to learn something that makes you important, makes you valuable. Okay? Plain labor, it's a good place to start. But that doesn't make you valuable. They're working on training monkeys, to replace just plain labor. Walmart's replacing labor with machines. Labor is, and I'm not trying to come down on anyone. If that's all you know is labor, not too late. Learn something, learn something. Even if you don't use it fully or ever, you need to have something when hard times come along that you can go out and do something to provide for your family. And and, and we're coming into an age more and more, I believe, to where you really need to be able to be self-sufficient, have small businesses. It's getting to where you can't hardly work in the world in many fields. The medical field, it's it's coming to a point really close in our time, where you're not gonna be able to even work there unless you give in to God's law and adapt theirs. So we need to be thinking, what can I do in and of myself? And of course, money management. We need to take the time that we have now as single to manage our money. We talked about the toys. But young men, and I think toys are a killer. You buy these toys, and I had an issue with that. I, I had an issue with paintball when I was a young man. I spent tens of thousands of dollars on paintball, and then sometimes at a tournament I might win 20 bucks, and I felt like, you know, I was ready to go pro. <laughs> no, I was, I was in the deficit the whole time. The whole time. <clears throat> We've gotta regulate, there's nothing wrong with a hobby, but we have gotta regulate with, if, and here's, here's what I'm trying to say. This is what I'm trying to say. If you don't plan on getting married, maybe what I'm saying doesn't mean anything to you. But if you woke up one morning and said more, I really would like to be a husband someday, then you need to start acting like it. Amen. And you need to put away the toys. You need to put away the hobbies, or at least keep your hobbies to a minimum. It's okay to hunt, but you don't have to have a $4,000 Weatherby. Get along with your uh, Model 700 just fine. We've got to be wise with our money and not spend it all. We need to save it. We need to have a plan. We need to say, where well, I'm, I'm going to build a house or I'm going to buy a house. If I wake up and I'm 30 years old and I'm single and I've got $500 in the bank and I've got a used pickup and that's it, something went wrong. Sorry I'm being so hard. You can turn it around right now. But we need, if you want a woman in your life or you want a man in your life, you need to start living your life that way. Amen. Next one. I'm running out of time fast. Thank God for the 30-minute grace. <laughs> Theology. Let's look at 2 John chapter 4. Starting in verse number 11. I rejoiced greatly and found the children walking in truth, as we have received the commandments from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not... Well, I think I got the wrong verse. But our theology... And... I believe it's Second John, verse 10. It says, that receive not, those who bring not the doctrine of Jesus Christ, receive them not into your house. Amen. Neither bid them godspeed. speed. Pretty simple verse. It really, it, 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 it's kind of a form of be not unequally yoked. Be separate. The problem is we live in a world today that says, I can believe whatever I want and you shouldn't judge me. Guys, that's a worldly opinion. That is not what the church was brought up on. That is not the opinion our forefathers had that built this nation, that you can believe whatever you want and we're just gonna be buddies. Now this verse that I just quoted, a lot of people take that and say, well, I've incorporated Christ into my theology, therefore it must be the doctrine of Jesus Christ. That's not true. And we see this happening, we see this happening right here in our own ranks, in the church world, everywhere, that considers themselves Christian. Well, my good friend, the Catholic down the street, all those, those saints or my Mormon buddies or my Jehovah Witnesses. Okay now I don't have a problem with any of those as people, but friends hear me out. Their doctrine is blasphemous heresy. Amen. Jesus is the only way. Period. Anything added to it? Anything taken away from that? Heresy. You might be able to work with them, but they are not our Christian brothers and sisters because they're not Christians. Amen. Now we need to apply that same thing because we've lost it right there. Now we look around and say, well, I can, I can have any wacky, tabacky theology I want out of the Bible as long as I stick Jesus in there somewhere. And you have to accept it. Young men, young ladies, you want someone who is founded in Scripture. Not in their interpretation, their private interpretation of it. But scripture, the whole Bible. False teaching sat over here in a corner. When you apply the whole scripture, they fall apart in a heartbeat. But it doesn't seem like they want to let go of them. And I have a reason for that. Why is it that theology is so easily held on to? Well, one of them is... Emotional attachment. We get attached to our beliefs. One of it might be because it's just something we grew up with. I'm attached to it because it's, it's everything I know. The good memories that I have of my church, good memories I have with my parents, whatever it might be. I don't want to let it go because of that. I understand that. I'm not judging you at all. But right is right and wrong is wrong. And, and when it comes to marriage, we need to make sure we're going into that marriage equally yoked with right doctrine. Another area that might be a struggle. It makes me feel good. It's true. There's some doctrines, some doctrines I don't understand at all. I don't know how it makes you feel good. But some doctrines it makes me feel good. Now who, who here is at least aware of the scammers on we'll say Facebook marketplace and internet when you try to purchase something online? It's actually a pretty scary thing. Why are scammers successful? They present an item that you want. It doesn't matter, and, and, a lot, and once you've been burned, you look back and you say, man, there was a red flag there. I can't even believe that I thought this person was real. But you did. Why? Because you wanted that price and that item to be true. I want it to be true. So I will ignore this truth. I will ignore that truth. I will ignore everything that says otherwise because I really want it to be true. Can't be like that. I think also some of us have a tendency to want to be special in their belief system. A little while back, I had someone come up to me. He was all excited. He wanted to share with me his evidence that he found in Scripture about something that I said from the pulpit, apparently, that I was wrong. It wasn't even really about whether he was right. He was all excited because he thought he had Scripture that showed that I was wrong. Why was he excited? He didn't dislike me. It wasn't a major issue, something very, very small. Happens all the time. But he felt special, or she feels special. I've discovered something you didn't know about. That's just natural human nature. But when it comes to working out our doctrine, we have to at least, it's okay to be excited about what you believe, but we can't be guided by those feelings to get to the end result. We have to push our emotions aside. It's not easy to do, but it can be done. And we need to, see emotions interfere with the hearing of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we think that emotion is the Holy Spirit. Don't be fooled. Push the emotions aside, allow the Holy Spirit to talk to you, and logically work out these doctrines. And again, as I, I'm, 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 every household, that's the beauty of being a parent, every household gets to determine what's acceptable and unacceptable for their children to marry. So I'm leaving that up to you. I'm not telling you what to do. But I do recommend that you, you look long and hard, fathers and mothers, and make sure that your child is marrying somebody that is walking in the doctrine of Jesus Christ, the doctrine of the apostles. And if they throw the apostles out and they change who Jesus Christ is in the Bible, well, you got problems right there. Last point, and I may have time to get it. A church. Ah. Uh, I've had a lot of battles over this one. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even Christ is the head of the church. There seems to be a division between the family and the church. And he is the Savior of the body, therefore as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water of the word, by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot nor wrinkle, or any such to love their wa- or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even the Lord of the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause a man leaves his father and his mother and shall join unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Families and church, what I'm reading right there, appear to be inseparable. The church cannot be a church if there's not families in it. And I don't believe that a church is a single family. You might be related to everybody, but it's not a single household. Church have benefits, and not being church, now it may not play out 100%, but not being church, your family will suffer. You will have issues with isolation, not having friends. I've had numerous phone calls of individuals that told me, I feel so isolated, I'm not allowed to go to this church, I'm not allowed to go talk to these people. See, we have a, a unique belief system that, that not only does the world hate the regular church, but they hate us ten times more. So if you go and pick a spot in the world to live, and you don't have a church there with you, you're going to be isolated in a way. Now the husbands, they, they have their little, their break. They get to go to work. And then they justify that interaction with other people. Well, I have to provide for my family. But they don't, I'll be careful with my wording here. But the wives and the children are at home suffering. Locked up in their little home or their yard. Not able to go anywhere. And when they do go somewhere, a grocery shop, they're being told you can't talk to anyone. They're not like you. You can't talk to them. Well, if you're going to be that way, that's fine but you need to provide an environment for your family, your wife, and your children that allows them to have interaction with like believers. Yeah. If you're missing that, there's something wrong. So here is what I have right here: is a, a just a, we'll say, a quick list of what I think a church should, bare minimum, should look like. One, it should have a weekly Sabbath assembly. Leviticus chapter 23 tells us we're to have a holy convocation. Six days you shall work, and the seventh we have that holy convocation. Hebrews 10, 24, we're not to neglect the assembly of the people. So this this is an assembly. The church requires an assembly of people. Next one is we must have a building set apart from others that is referred to in scripture as the house of prayer or God's house. Now, I'm all right with home churches in the beginning. It's a great place to start. Maybe that's the only place you can start. But it is not a long-term vision. And it will not produce the benefits of a church. Churches have a way of producing spiritual growth simply by learning to interact with other people. You will never grow closer to God than you will by being able to humble yourself and get along with someone you don't like. That doesn't draw you closer to, it will, but that draws you closer to God. When you don't have that in your life, you're isolated in somewhere in a mountain in a, in a hole in the wall somewhere. You can do whatever you want, think whatever you want, no accountability, you don't have to get along with anyone. And then when you come to festivals or something like this, you don't get along with anyone. You can just get in your car and drive away. What's happened? Those people are so judgmental. They, they, they have criteria. Elders and leadership. A church needs to have ordained elders and leadership. Titus chapter one, verse five. Reads, For this cause, this for this cause left I thee in Crete that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I have appointed thee. Elders and leadership are an important part of a church. Now I'm just going to leave it with this, so I may really struggle with that church one, and I only say that because I've had a little bit of pushback in in the past. When it comes to my daughter, I have invested, as many other parents have, I'm not alone in this when I say this, I have invested in her everything that I know. I was there for everything, for, for scratch, first broken tooth from falling over. I was there when she broke a shoulder. I was there on her first day of school. Every hardship, every blessing. And I did I I did a a Google search and it says that statistically speaking on the low end, you will spend in raising a single child about $300,000 on the low end. So I'm gonna go with the low end. I'm not a rich man. I've invested $300,000 in my young lady. It'll be a cold day in Louisiana (laughs) before I'm just going to turn my daughter over to some guy that has about six months of investment in her that just says, well, I don't really believe what you believe, but I'm going to marry your daughter anyway. You will have resistance. If you aren't even trying to give her something equal to what I have already offered her, well, that's going to be a big red flag for me. And I would say that church... So Ethan and Madison, mostly you, I guess Madison, (laughs) look for a man who has a church. Thank you for your time and God bless you.